Hey, hey, friend. So grateful for this podcast episode with Ben Bradbury. Yep, you'll remember Ben as an earlier guest on the show, episode number seven. Fast forward seven months, and Ben was quickly in town from London, where he recently moved to. His portfolio career has evolved since then, and I can't wait for you to hear more about it. We just literally met up and quickly started jamming, so I'm going to turn it over to this episode ASAP, but the full episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. If you're interested in writing, reading, storytelling, audience building, and more, this episode is for you. Here we go with Ben. Just as like a brief overview of, of the last seven months and like how my thinking's changed. So first of all, going from balancing a portfolio career where Glisser was my full-time job and now my portfolio career is split between my job that I've created for myself and a podcast that I run and then balancing that with the mental shift that's required as well as being now a full-time writer and so balancing that with the the habits that I've created to start writing um, versus what is actually important for me in my life because we spoke last time about this concept of the triangle and how you're balancing these different skills and so for me it's a case of what am I balancing and what are my life metrics that I'm moving towards like what's going to be relevant in 10-20 years and I think I've dialed in on a couple of them which are spoiler alert writing reading and podcasting as well so it's working out what are the kind of collection of portfolio skills I need to build around those key life metrics to really deliver excellence in the work that I'm doing for this year boom welcome to portfolio career podcast um, David's here with Ben Bradbury how's it going Ben it's going great, David. <laughs> I I haven't seen you in a good seven months, and it's been seven months too long. I'm glad to be back in the city. Such an honor. It was uh, right when I was just getting started in episode number seven, and then now here we are. So what's, uh, what's amazing is Ben was coming into town for just a couple of days, and uh, we were going to get together, and I was like, you know what? What better way to do it than record a podcast? So Absolutely. From one podcaster to another, I can tell you're definitely on the right track. Thanks so much. So you gave us a quick little sneak peek, but maybe for the listeners, just give a quick overview of how you would uh, introduce yourself if you went to an event tonight. Oh, that's a good question. Well, the first thing is if someone asks me, what do you do at a networking event? I always facepalm because I think there's always a better question than what, than what did you do? But for the purposes of this, I'll, I'll let you off. So what I essentially do is I tell stories that matter. And whether that is in the context of my podcast, Subject Matter, which is a weekly debate and discussion around issues that aren't so black and white, so people think for themselves, or the stories that I tell for my clients, it's really about creating compelling content that stimulates the human experience and kind of helps us think differently. So I head up content strategy at an agency, Project 33. And when we spoke in episode seven, David, we talked about what I was doing leading up to that, which was ghostwriting on LinkedIn. So in the seven months that we've spoken, um, I've since incorporated that into an agency, which I run with my friend Finn Thormeyer. And what we do is we blow up people's personal brands on the internet. And we focus pretty much exclusively on LinkedIn, moving into Instagram and YouTube now. Um, but it's with the principle of having the people at the center of their brand's experience rather than the company themselves. So yeah. Okay, cool. And you mentioned... So seven months in London, Project 33, and then we're talking about kind of key skills for your portfolio career. You know, what was that like when you were trying to figure out what is really essential for the next five to 10 years? Maybe talk us through that, that process. Sure. 
So this has been the first time since starting to work for myself and develop a real portfolio career on my own terms that I've had the total mental bandwidth to actually answer that question. So what I've found is for me, I'm relatively new to the working world, right? I'm 24 years old. I was working for my tech startup before for two and a half years. But your job is essentially your agenda. So a large part of your work, you're literally giving your life to this place for 40 hours a week. So now I'm working for myself, I have the time and, and the bandwidth to think what matters to me. So there's a couple of things that I looked at. One was the work that I'm doing. Let's let's look at the evidence here. And where I've seen the most returns, what has managed to start my side hustle, create the most social capital with my friends and connections is my writing. And whether that's in the context of ghostwriting on LinkedIn for my clients or coming up with the stories and structure behind subject matter, writing has been the anchor for that. And so I've really doubled down on what's going to make that writing as good as it can be, which is consistency. So now starting my mornings with journaling, going straight into two hours of writing every day is really helping to build up my writing pretty quick. Um, Now, the other thing, as Stephen King says, if you want to be a good writer, there's two things you have to do. And there are no shortcuts. You have to write a lot and you have to read a lot as well. Now, what's kind of interesting, David, is reading for me has been a bit of a point of debate because reading isn't something that actively makes you money, but it is possibly the best investment of time you can make. So for me, I've really had to get over a mental obstacle, if you will, of realizing that the reading I'm doing now doesn't just impact my bottom line, it impacts my thinking, which is perhaps even more valuable. So we're recording this end of March. I've read, I think, nine books or so this year, which is okay. I want to I wanna try and get to 50. But that is a, it's a meta skill that I think can evolve and not only inform my content, but inform my thinking. And as I move into bigger and better projects, make them better and kind of refine that. So um, and then the the final thing is exactly what we're doing here today, which is my podcasting. So I started Subject Matter with my friend Tom Worcester on 5th of November, 2018. Since then, we've just finished season one. So we're a little bit behind you. We've got 15 episodes. You've got, you've got 47. But it, it was a passion project which ended up, we think, has the potential to be something quite special. So I've, I've realized I have a knack for delivering stories. And it's a skill that I like to hone and refine. So taking a more active role in how can I be a better podcaster, trying to catch some of the bad habits I have and improve my elocution and my delivery. These are all things that I think will be relevant in five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And can maybe, can you talk about what you've learned through being a podcaster and not, not necessarily the podcast production element, but maybe, you know, for somebody who's listening, that's not a podcaster, hasn't been a podcast. How do you think you've changed because of putting out that kind of work? Podcasting only works if you can remember the person who's never in the room. They're simultaneously invisible but they are your greatest asset, and that is your audience. Your, your audience aren't there watching, but they're always listening. And as a podcaster, if you deliver something that isn't compelling and doesn't catch people's ears, then you don't have a podcast. You just have voiceless narration. And so the one thing that's really got to me is when I'm writing subject matter, thinking what is the big idea I am looking to put into people's heads? Because if I tell a story and it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't spark any change in thinking, it's a waste. And ultimately, David, the reason that I'm doing subject matter is to help people become the best versions of themselves by being willing to change everything. But for me, that meant changing how I actually approach the content. So now when I'm podcasting, I'm always thinking, 
and literally writing down what is the big idea of this episode? What's the big takeaway from this story? What is the valuable insight that I want to plant into people's minds that will help them hopefully change their behavior? I'm trying to think about the big idea for this podcast. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I, I know, I know. But uh, well, what, what would you say it is? So I think what's been fascinating to me is how you have been designing your life around content. And I think, you know, from giving talk about LinkedIn, giving talks to General Assembly, basically, I mm-hmm. believe that you're content first, you know, that's your biggest focus, but yet been able to design a life to fund that and to fuel that. Yep. So me and I think listeners are, are curious as to how can they find work to be able to fuel their passion, their curiosity, their impact to something bigger than themselves through content? That's a good question. So before we go into the how, let's go into the why. Take a step back. What is content? Unless you know how to code, content is possibly the best way of multiplying your leverage. If we have an idea, a conversation in here, and we don't have any mics on, it stays between David and Ben. As soon as we have the mics on and we do this, it can be broadcast to thousands of ears. That's leverage over your ideas. And so podcasting is one variation of it, but it could be blogging, videos, writing, whatever it is. But the key principle behind content is sharing ideas with an audience you care about, with a problem you can solve, and helping them lead to their conclusion by your own experiences and and what you know. So... If you're listening to this and you haven't featured on a podcast, you're more of a consumer than you are a creator, one of the places to start is just to ask yourself, what do I find interesting? When you're on the web, when you're reading, what are the topics that grab you? What are you curious about? Because here's the thing. There are thousands upon thousands of people out there who like the exact same weird and wonderful stuff as you. And a heuristic that I've used when I'm thinking about content, when I'm when I'm scarce on ideas, is to imagine that I'm writing for a stadium full of Bens. I'm going to give a speech to 20,000 Bens all cheering me on in the Coliseum. <laughs> And I'm thinking, what would they find interesting? And it's not too long. It's not too many minutes before you realize what it is you're interested in. And those are your prompts. And then it's a case of what's going to come most naturally to you. Do you have an aptitude for creating video? Most people are probably going to start writing. And I'd I'd recommend starting small if you've never posted before. Just start posting little snippets. It can be as short as a tweet. You can put it anywhere you like. Put it on Facebook. Put it on LinkedIn. But just start getting that feedback from your audience. Just start getting that conversation conversation and slowly but surely that consistency will build into something bigger and then so going back to finding work um, so you moved from New York City to London you left working at Glisser how did you think about next steps how did you think about finding potential clients how did you think about what could be next so I had an offer to stay in New York with Glisser they were very good to me they offered an extension of my visa I had to turn it down because my girlfriend, who I'm still with now, unfortunately couldn't get work. We tried for four arduous months to try and get her a job over here, and it was just rejection after rejection every time. So I made the decision, prioritizing my relationship over my work, and Glissa were very supportive, full credit to them. So I was left with a couple options. When I moved back to London, I could move back in with the Glissa team. I had a role lined up there, or I could go it alone and turn my side hustle into a main hustle. And that was the LinkedIn ghostwriting. So for me, writing's always been the thing I'm interested in, David. And I wanted to be in advertising. That didn't pan out. Now I'm a copywriter and that's sort of panning out. And I thought to myself, you have a real window here to make something of it. And 
I'm 24, so I'm in a fortunate position where I have loads of energy, no responsibility, and pretty much complete liberty over where I want to move and where I want to locate. So I thought to myself, it's going pretty well. I can support myself comfortably. What would happen if I had 40 more hours a week and total bandwidth to actually make something of this? So that was my kind of thought process behind it. Now, in terms of tactically how I went about acquiring clients, um, I've partnered with a social media agency, which is based over in Australia called Web Traffic That Works. And they are LinkedIn specialists helping clients across Australia and Southeast Asia. Um, they have an excellent offering. And they focused on profile optimization specifically and network growth. But the one thing that they're missing is content to help them out. And at the time, I saw an opportunity. So I reached out to their founder and said to him, um, would you be interested in seeing if I can teach you about the content? So I coached him for uh, a couple months, really um, helped revamp his content. He got some good results with it. And then that turned into me writing for their clients. So I was fortunate in the fact that I haven't I obviously have had to go and acquire clients, but it's come from my relationships that I've had. And this is one of the things that I believe about people who have portfolio careers is that it's almost always better to invest in your community and in your network than it is to actively go and acquire clients because by strengthening the bonds of that relationships, you're planting the seeds of serendipity. And if you have strong relationships with people, you tell them what they're doing, it won't be too long before the universe reaches back out and says, we've got an opportunity for you. Yeah, that's why when you said, hey, I'm coming back in town, I was like, I've never done a double episode with somebody, but I don't get this opportunity very often for you to come to town. And I was like, let's just make something <laughs> from it. Absolutely. Well, this is the interesting thing about content, right? And the, the, this this is, highlights a pretty interesting piece in your thinking, David, which is you understand that there's potential for good conversation here and there's insights and ideas that people will find interesting. And this isn't narcissistic or boastful. Everyone listening to this has insights and ideas to think about. The simple shift to make is extrapolating that and thinking where can I share this? How do I want to share this? So if there's something on a, on a basic level, I love my photography. If I walk past a building in New York that I really like, I can appreciate that building or I can go on my Instagram story and take a picture and post a caption. Boom. That's one piece of content. If I have a conversation with you and you have a quote that I really like, I can take a picture of our conversation and put the quote underneath. Boom. That's another piece of content. Content isn't something you have to actively create. It's something that you discover through documentation of your journey. And then the opportunities create themselves. So you've obviously leader in LinkedIn. In addition to a following and, and created a movement on LinkedIn and, and helped a lot of people through your content there, you've been working with other people to expand their, their presence and share their ideas. What are some ways for people to just improve their LinkedIn presence and, and impact? Yeah, sure thing. Number one thing you can do to improve your LinkedIn is be very clear on who you want to reach out to and why you're on the platform. There's over 610 million people on the platform as of 2019, and you only need a tiny percentage of that, not even 1% for it to be a roaring success. So get very clear on who your target audience is. And let's segment it by LinkedIn. So who are their job titles? How many years experience do they have? What are their key skills? What are they looking for? This allows you to build a profile of your active ideal target audience. And then it's a case of optimizing your profile for them. So you turn your summary and your experience from what's probably a digital CV right now, turn that into a sticky landing page that is actually appealing to their problems and is an appealing proposition for them. So 
ask yourself, what's the one big problem that they have that I can solve? And then how can I couch that in a story that's actually appealing? So to be clear on that, you said turning it from a CV into a landing page. Correct. And the difference is because as a CV, I just list out my responsibilities and my achievements and that's it. It's braggadocio, right? When I'm on a landing page, there is an action to be taken after that. So in your summary and in your experience, you want to explicitly call out if you want to reach out with me, if you would like to be a guest on the Portfolio Career Podcast, email me at XXX or connect with me at specifically tell people exactly why you're on the platform. Otherwise, they're not going to take action. Yeah, I figured out. I I think I now know what I need to do tonight. (laughs) (laughs) You got some homework. (laughs) Love it. I love it. And hopefully more people do as well. (laughs) Uh, So maybe, and so Project 33, that's helping people with their LinkedIn profiles and more? Yeah, exactly. So Project 33 is... A, it's a personal branding agency. So while we are focused on LinkedIn right now, big picture is to actually manage people's brands as a service, like a modern talent management agency. So we we will literally run your digital profile. So LinkedIn is what makes this the most sense right now because me and Finn have expertise in the platform. We understand it pretty well, but it's certainly not limited to it. So we're experimenting with Instagram, YouTube, a couple other cool platforms at the moment with some of our clients um, with a bigger aim of, of uh, branching out to that. In founders, the people that you work with, how does this help them amplify their business? Yeah, what's the problem it's solving? Yeah, the problem is that founders are often idea rich and time poor. And so if you're a successful founder, our target market is um, seasoned entrepreneurs, ideally with an exit under their belt or C-level executives, so proven results. These people know what they're talking about. They're not fluff, but they don't have the time to turn those insights into something more manageable. And so Project 33 is essentially streamlining their thinking and then allowing them to broadcast it out to the audience at the same time. So we are very conscious of our clients' time and we do everything to do all the heavy lifting for them. So we help them with the ideation, we help them with the creation and the distribution of their content and the growth of their accounts as well. So it's uh, essentially, it's, it's a full stack uh, management of your online profile, saving you time. Okay. And then Ben, I'd love to go back to where we kind of first started and, and also the prior podcast episode, which was around this topic of mastery. And mm. what do you think is... As somebody who's building and growing their portfolio career, what do you think are some areas that people should be mastering? I think it's different for everyone, but I think that there are... So let me start with the general areas. I think empathy. If you can develop a knack for putting yourself in other people's shoes and you can intuitively see things from their point of view, that is dangerously potent in your thinking because it means you're not going to get locked into your own belief systems it leaves you fluid and flexible to change and unfortunately we humans are biased and flawed and we have this very annoying heuristic which is if we get some kind of positive value from a tool or mindset we stick to it like glue and we overlook its flaws but empathy allows you to see those flaws because you you can consider things that you didn't know from the other side of the table Building on empathy is communication as well. I think as we become more isolated in our digital age of connectedness, inverted commas, 
it becomes more important than ever to be able to communicate with people succinctly. And I actually, for all you listeners at home, David has actually taught me a lot about communicating effectively on emails. So making structured points, using good use of highlighting and bold to actually pick things out. He's smiling, but it's excellent communication. (laughs) And we don't waste time when we talk. And now I waste a lot less time with people. Being clear and concise with your with your speech and with your communication, I think is is absolutely key. Thank you. Very kind of you. One other point I guess I'd be thinking about was is going back to this this point about finding work. And you know, you you mentioned it with your girlfriend how it was hard for her to find work in the States and then you moved to London and, and finding work. You know, with amongst your friends and your peers, like how people can find better clients in this freelancer portfolio career uh, world that we live in. I think people can find better clients by making better asks. And a better ask comes from delivering value first and not from just asking to work with someone. So the better client you want to get, the more results they're going to want to see. And unfortunately, if you're just starting out, you might not have those proven results, that shining CV under your belt. And so you need to show them that you're worth your salt. So there's like a law. I don't know what the law is called, but essentially <laughs> the the higher up the clients and the, the harder they are to reach, the more personified and and more time you should spend crafting your offer. You can't just send them a cold email. You can't probably even send them a a cold voice message. You need a highly personal video outreach to this person explaining why you are interested in working with them, what is the specific piece of content that they put out or piece of thinking that changed you and how can you add value in their business. The three worst words you can do if you want to work with someone cool is say, pick your brain. No (laughs) one wants their brains to be picked. People want to know specifically, these busy people want to know, okay, you want to work with me? How can you add value in my business? And you say, I do these skills, X, Y, and Z, and I've got these results. I know from an understanding of your company, this is where you're looking to go, and this is where you need help, and I think we can collaborate in these areas. And by the way, the most powerful word you can use is free. If you're willing to put out the work for free and actually work for them just on the virtue of getting those results and merit first, you can streamline that process that it would normally take everyone else who's waiting to get in the front door. You can just go in the back because you've actually given them value. Well, thankfully, this podcast is for free so, <laughs> so everybody that's listening is getting a ton of and free they're getting value, value. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so if you want to work with David you can email him out <laughs> <laughs> yeah no listeners I love hearing from you and uh, but definitely please email Ben as well alright Ben as you think about kind of current projects or, you know, current things, again going back to this journey that you went on anything else that you'd like to talk about yeah I think keeping on the theme of content, I have had a pretty radical shift in my thinking on why content is important. And one of the big things that has shifted is the the role that content plays as the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into years. So you can create something that sparks engagement. And, and this, by the way, I will preface by saying is a balance because you do want the engagement and you want the audience. But ultimately, if it's not a relevant insight, if it's not something that is compelling and, and well thought out, it's going to be forgotten. And especially as you move into more rich form content like podcasts, like live shows, like books, if you're putting out this content that is taking you hundreds of hours to create and it's subpar, you are on a proven path to being forgotten. And so 
I'm spending personally a lot more time thinking about the value of the content that I'm putting out. What is the big idea here? And how can I make this timeless? How can I actually make this something that people will find useful a year from now, 10 years from now, 100 years from now? Because unless you aim for that greatness, your content can't be great. And that's what's really changed in my thinking is it's not just about the engagement and the audience building in 2019. Of course, that's a really important part of that, but it's actually creating content and insights that are going to change people's thinking so that when people do go up to the archives in 10 years time and they look at Ben Bradbury when he was just getting started, I can still have something that I'm genuinely proud of. And that's across channels? That's that's across channels. I think it comes down to being a, a bigger stickler for quality. And that means soliciting feedback from people before you post the content, people you trust and who have a good nose for the the channel that you're looking to post on. It's people who can call you out that will disagree with you. One of the reasons why I enjoy subject matters so much is because it's a debate with one of my closest friends who's not afraid to rip apart my arguments every time I hang out with him. And so it pushes my thinking forward and it's a a genuine insight. So that's, yeah, it's it's across all the channels, but it's, it's basically raising my own internal bar of quality to aim for great instead of just being acceptant of good mm, okay well i know this podcast is great so oh it absolutely <laughs> is <laughs> and 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 so is your podcast as well and uh, the banter between you and tom is hilarious thank you i appreciate it yeah all right ben well for those that want to follow up with you what are some ways that people can support you well if you're listening to this you listen to podcasts so subject matter is a pretty good place to start you can find it on spotify on itunes stitcher if you just search subject matter and uh, yeah give give that a listen there's plenty of episodes and then i would love to hear what you guys thought of this episode of portfolio career Um, and if you listen to subject matter my instagram is ben bradbury and my you can find me on linkedin as well same name or my website benbradbury.com awesome thank you so much ben really appreciate it you're welcome david it's been a pleasure thanks again for tuning in to another portfolio career podcast episode Your interest and support means so much to me. If you want to learn more and subscribe to my monthly newsletter, please head over to PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can also email me at davidnabinsky at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon.